you've read a bunch of crime and mystery novels, but I'm curious, what have you noticed that authors of this genre typically get wrong? Um, one thing that they don't often include is just the paperwork. And it's something that hopefully when my uh, current work in progress makes it out, you'll see that it's not all chasing bad guys on the sidewalk and, and car chases. Sometimes it's sitting in the office typing and... Unless you make a concerted effort to do that, you'll never document the stuff that you're doing, even though it's good work. If it's not documented, it never happened. Welcome to The Right Note, a podcast dedicated to the independent author. From the craft of storytelling to the business side of publication, we cover it all. I'm Jay Ryan Fenzel. And I'm Kira F. Jacobs. And this is The Right Note. In this episode, we welcome crime and spy thriller author Donnie Jay to discuss the fact and fiction of police procedurals, the secret of character development, and the importance of putting faith in his writing. Welcome back to The Right Note. Remember to join our community and follow us on Instagram at the Right Note Podcast. And if you like what you hear, post a comment about the show on podchaser.com. So our guest, Donnie, is a police detective. And uh, as we'll discuss, he's writing a new crime thriller series. And his experience as a law enforcement officer, it helps him to craft authentic criminal investigations. That got me thinking, is that something you and I do, Kira, in our writing? Like, maybe not as overt as taking something from a a professional job, like my engineering, I I do take things from writing technical subjects and trying to make them understandable, but maybe something more subtle, like things from our everyday life, uh, routines or whatever. Do we put those into our stories, you think, uh, consciously or not? I think everyone does. If you're a writer, I think you put pieces of your life or things that you experience into your writing. Some of it might be Your career, like in your case, engineering things, and in Donnie's case, you know, police work. But I think a lot of the times, for me personally, I'll probably use experiences that I've had. For for example, if I was writing a, a book where a character got in the car when the windshield was frozen over with ice, and they didn't start the car in time to get ice off the window, and they're just trying to scrape a little window to look out the windshield as they're driving. Like if I grew up in the South where I live now, I wouldn't have that experience to add into a book if I was writing a character who lived in that environment. So I think that kind of stuff, you obviously are going to use your experiences. And then it's funny when someone who lives in the North reads that and they're like, oh, ha ha, I've, I've done that. You know, well, it's even funnier when people in the South read that and go, are you serious? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I have, I still have car scrapers for some reason that have just floated around my cars since I've left Michigan. And some people have asked me what it is, which is hilarious. Well, I remember you telling us you had a, actually had a pretty good snowstorm down around Charleston a couple of years back. And you had to teach some people how to scrape ice and snow. <laughs> I was giving people my scraper, yeah. I was going around the parking lot doing people's cars for a little bit because they were like so confused. Like, what do I do? I'm like, here's my scraper. But I think that you use experiences like that to make your character's experience more authentic. I can't necessarily think of an example from my career 
I haven't really been in my career, I guess, for a long time though either. Yeah, no, that's a good, that was a good one uh, with the scraping your ice because that, that that's kind of a regional thing that adds a certain flavor to a story, you know. Like in my job, and just in a general sense, like the corporate, like in a corporate setting, the, the some meetings I've been in, how they how they operate, and you know the the personalities that are in there. I have tapped into that sometimes, or even on like uh, when I was doing installs and job sites, and certain characters at the. Uh, the electricians and things that I worked with, some of that made it in too, you know, but uh, what about personal traits? Now, I didn't realize this when I first started writing, like the new the new book I'm, I'm, I just finished the first draft on, this character that I've written, I wrote in first person point of view. And what I think that does is it really makes it easy for you because you're writing, I did this and I did that, right? It makes it easy for things about yourself to slip in. Mm-hmm. And in a way, this this character in this in this book, his name's John Gerard. He's more me than any character I've written, except he's a wittier, funnier, more sarcastic, braver, more intelligent version of me. Right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, he's like a much much better version of me. You know, just because you can you can make him whatever you want. Yeah. But I mean, as I was writing it, I'm like. You know why it's so easy to write him, and it's it's kind of enjoyable to write this characters because I'm really not, uh, I'm really tapping into something that's already there. You know, I think part of that. I think when I'm reading a book and the character says or does things constantly that annoy me, I just don't enjoy following their narrative because I'm like, why would you act that way? Why would you say that? Why would you be this certain type of way? So I think. When I write my own characters, I obviously do put, you know, pieces of me in there because I don't want my character, my main character at least, that I want my reader to love to do irritating things or say dumb remarks or just make decisions that's like, you obviously wouldn't do that. You got to save those comments for the characters you don't like who are supposed to be bad. Exactly. I think, I think every writer puts themselves in their writing one way or another. And even if you tried not to, you just would. You can't not do that because you are, I guess you are who you are, and you're writing from your experiences. I mean, if you were totally writing devoid of what you know, what you experience, what you imagine, I don't think anyone can write like that. Yeah. Corollary to this is, do we consciously try to keep some things out of our writing? Are there certain walls we put up, maybe our emotional or our our personal beliefs or something that... It's off limits. Like we're not going to put it in a book because maybe we're guarding them, or or maybe it's just just too personal, or it's just not a. It just doesn't fit in with the story, or whatever. But have you ever found yourself doing that? Yeah, I mean, there are certain things that I'll never put in my writing. I mean, I mainly write for the young adult space, and so I personally don't put in like heavy swear words. I know the young adult genre nowadays is like honestly completely fine with having that those types of words be in there, but I just don't do that because I remember how young I was reading young adult novels and I just wouldn't want that in there. Something I've seen too, it's a little bit off topic, but something I've seen actually by like when I read book reviews about certain fantasy books, a lot of readers will say when they read a fantasy book that has 
a swear word in it that we use in our world, it takes them out of the fantasy world because right. if everything else about the fantasy world is different from ours, why would they use our swear words? And I agree with that. And so since I write mainly fantasy and magical realism and that kind of thing, I feel like I fall under that obligation to try to be clever with what the words you're using. That's a great example. Like in a fantasy realm, people throwing, throwing around not just curse words, but uh, like expressions that are said today, you know, yeah, just little, little catchphrase or whatever it is. And it really does. It's like, no, you're supposed to be in this mythical fantasy realm. And you're saying that in the Battlestar Galactica series, the writers were somewhat cognizant of this in the reboot, especially they use it a lot. But in the original, they, they did too in, in 1979. So even back then. What they used was instead of the F-bomb, they created their own F-bomb word. Yeah. I'm going to spell it first. So F-R-A-K. It was frack. Frack this, frack that. And they would say that instead. And they would say <laughs> that funny. instead. And it, it's funny, but the, the, the funny thing is in, in the in the reboot, which was done like much more serious and much more uh, of a serious tone and a darker kind of tone to it, they used it. So seamlessly as if it was the other word. Really? After a while, you just, you just accepted it. Like, it's this world and this is what they say, you know? That's one way around it. Make up a nonsense word. Yeah, that's funny. Know. Yeah, that is funny. But uh, So yeah, Donnie, police detective, uh, it's going to help him write his crime thriller series. And uh, that's going to lead us into Character as King. Now, Character as King is where we pick fictional characters. Right, Kara? Yes, we have a fictional one this time. <laughs> uh, and we pick our favorites in a certain category and explain why we think they're wonderful creations. And this week, it's our law enforcement edition. And the question is, who is our favorite fictional law enforcement character? Could be a policeman, detective, could be... We only had one ground rule this week or this month. No Sherlock Holmes. Because obviously he's the best of the best. So you can't pick him. That's right. He's the He would be the go-to, so he's off the list. Jared, would you like to go first? I can. I can go first <laughs> if you want. No, I can go first. I can go first. Okay, so my character is King, a fictional law enforcement character. So we actually touched on this in the interview with Donnie. So this is a great little segue, but my my choice is Adrian Monk from the show Monk. Ah, good one. Yeah, he is my favorite ever because I think number one, he's nostalgic for me. I grew up watching him with you guys and I was obsessed with him, mainly because he's not your normal law enforcement character. He's OCD. He does things really strangely and it makes sense why he's very attentive to detail. I kind of get irritated sometimes when law enforcement, you know, officers will walk around a room and like notice every little thing, but they're just like a normal person. But in Adrian Monk's case, he's very OCD, very attentive to detail, even in his life outside of law enforcement. So it makes sense that he would be a great detective to notice one slight thing that's off in a, in a crime scene. Yeah, he has he has a really specific reason why he's like that. He's just not yeah. like a, or a smart guy or whatever it is. He's not just like cool and, and a genius. Like he's actually suffers from 
a mental illness, but it it aids him in his job. And he's he's just a likable character. I think you fall in love with him as you watch it because you almost like feel bad for him, but you're you know you're rooting him on. You know he's good at what he does, but then he still struggles. I don't know. He is a good dynamic character who is not two dimensional. And that was just I think that was one of my favorite shows growing up. I I used to watch the Monk marathons on Friday night. Eye on television, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, we still have the. Um... The box set, the DVD set. Yeah, I can, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> I think I think Marissa got that for me for Christmas. Actually, I've seen a couple episodes not that long ago. It was an interesting show because Monk was it was funny and and human and the way he was, but there was actually kind of a, a the sad undercurrent to his character was the whole show was him recovering from the loss of his uh, wife being killed in a in a in an explosion, you know. And they had several episodes where they dealt with that to some degree. So it, it's a it's a really interesting and a well-written show in that regard where you, you hit the, the the OCD and the mental, I don't want to call it illness, but the mental things he has going on. And then the emotional levels it hits too. So yeah, yeah excellent pick here. Adrian Monk. The best. What's your pick? My pick is actually a literary figure this time. Ooh, I'm intrigued. My pick is Detective John Corey. He's a semi-retired New York Police Department detective who, over the course of his uh, eight book series, has worked contract with the Anti-Terrorist Task Force in New York or the Diplomatic Services Security Corps, whatever. He was created by Nelson DeMille. And in the first book with... Oh, you knew it. Of course you did. (laughs) first book uh, John Corey appeared in was Plum Island in 1997. And this was during in the late 90s. And the PC culture was taking hold. Like, uh, you can't say, you know, certain things or you'll offend people, that kind of stuff. And it was just starting to get big. And DeMille had said in an interview, he wanted to create the most un-PC character he possibly could in, in John Corey. And he did. I mean, Corey is he's very witty but he's really sarcastic. Uh, by any, any account, he's a misogynist, but deep down he really does respect strong women characters. Uh, he tells off-color or offensive jokes. He's definitely not PC. And it's interesting, in the his most recent book came out a year, year or two ago. He actually said that in today's culture, it's even, even more so like the offense police are out there. And he had to tone certain things down in this book that will, that he never had a problem with 20 years ago. Yeah, I believe it, yeah. One thing he was really surprised by is this, the, his latest book was about these uh, a true serial killer case in, uh, uh, I forget where it was, uh, the, the old beach area on the East Coast somewhere. And well, who were being killed were there were prostitutes, right, being killed. Well, the, the editors or the, the uh, non-offensive editors, whatever, told him he couldn't, he really shouldn't use the word prostitutes. He should use the word sex workers. And that just blew his mind. I feel like that's even worse than prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. I know. They, maybe they think prostitute carries certain connotations, but whatever connotation it carries, it's true. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> but, weird. Yeah. So, I mean, so reading reading a John Corey book is always entertaining. I mean, it's 
you're laughing at one minute and then, but then they're exciting, very suspenseful too. And, and Corey isn't just all those things, but he's also a brilliant detective and he's very skilled deductive mind. And he's really great at the good old fashioned legwork detectives do. Excellent series of books, uh, the John Corey series by Nelson DeMille. That's my character's king pick of the month. I, I could have guessed you would pick a Nelson DeMille character. Yeah, he's my primary author, I guess. But hey, let us know what your pick for characters king is this month. Uh, let us know on Instagram at the Right No Podcast, and uh, we'll chat about it. And now it's time to welcome our guest, Donnie J, to the Right Note. Donnie's earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from York College, PA, and serves as a detective for a suburban Pennsylvania police department with nearly 20 years on the job. Actually, over 20 years, I'm sorry. In 2010, he began his writing pursuit with the goal of crafting Christian spy thrillers that champion traditional America and her strong faith-infused heritage. Donnie is a husband and father of two, and he enjoys spending time with his family, playing soccer, hiking, and cheering on the Philadelphia Eagles. He is a follower of Jesus Christ and lives the tenets of faith, family, and freedom. His first two novels, The Warrior Spy and Artifacts of Conspiracy, Follow the exploits of Delta Force operator turned CIA officer Reagan Brainy as he confronts foreign cabals and international conspiracies. On his harrowing missions, Rainey defends his country, protects his family, and often finds the fiber of his faith being tested. Reviewers have described Donnie's books as a breath of fresh air, masterfully crafted thrill rides, and of artifacts of conspiracy in general, nonstop action, relatable characters, and an engaging plot. He is currently working on uh, a crime thriller series. And Donnie, welcome to The Right Note. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. You are very upfront about your faith, stating on your website that you write fiction with conviction. And you made your hero, Reagan Rainey, a devout Christian. How difficult is it to maintain a strong Christian message and perspective in a thriller genre that's typically defined by gratuitous violence, sex, and morally gray characters? I don't think it's really difficult for me at all. I mean, it, it's basically like an extension of myself. The character is, obviously, he's got a lot more uh, uh, interesting background and, and history. But for me, it's easy to write with a faith aspect. It's not really difficult for me at all. I'm a Christian as well. And so when I write my when I write my books, I like to have those messages in my writing because that's really important to me just to get it across in in a fictional way. It's just a different way to experience those messages. And so for you, why is it important that you write Christ-centered thrillers? It's kind of who I am. So like, why would I try to write something that doesn't represent me? Mm -hmm. It just comes natural to like, that's my worldview. So why would I try to write with a different worldview. That's really hard to do, I think, in the in the publishing industry because a lot of the times it sways the other way. So it's it's great when you do have authors who really stay true to who they are and they aren't swayed by the market and what the market says uh, should be in a book and, and that kind of thing. So kudos to you. That's really hard. Yeah, Carrie, you kind of went through, or, or rather you did a similar thing with the the Benjigal Fletcher book, because you have very, very strong Christian themes and imagery and things. And it's a fantasy novel. And typically fantasy is is off the map as far as religious 
it's fantasy, right? It's it's not Christian, and 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 you kind of made that the the kind of the centerpiece of the message and the story. Yeah, I almost feel that's a similar thing to what Donnie did with taking a very strong Christian faith-based approach to a thriller genre. I remember reading a detective series when I was younger that had that was very heavily faith-based, and I remember enjoying it so much as a teenager because there wasn't a lot of that in the the detective genre, you know? Yep, and, and I would say, like, the books aren't, they're not meant to be preachy. They're meant to just be written from the main character from a Christian worldview. So they're not meant to, like, beat people over the head with Christianity or faith type material. It's just that's who he is. So, so it's through that lens. But I, I would say, too, just in the the thriller marketplace, if you will, there is a void. You know, who who writes Christian thrillers, whether it's crime thrillers or spy thrillers, who writes them? And my books aren't intended to be specifically to that Christian marketplace. It's to be for anybody. You just might not see a few words here or there that you might see in, in the general marketplace or the general genre. So yeah, it's just through that lens it's not like I try to avoid violence or, I mean, it's it's tasteful in a way, uh, the violence that I have, but it, it's not supposed to be like, I can't ever talk about shooting or, it's just some of those words that you would see it in the, in the general thriller marketplace. I don't use them in mine. It, it makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes, or I shouldn't say difficult, but it just makes me think about how dialogue takes place you know, the word choice and stuff like that. You can still make it engaging. It's just some of those words that are offensive are just not there. Um, if you think about curse words, right? And the F-bomb in particular, when I see that on a page printed, it actually is more impactful to me than if someone uses it in casual conversation, if, if that makes any sense, you know? Mm -hmm. I think when it, it kind of solidifies it when you see it on the page. In my first book, I think I, I used that word once. And then in my next book, my wife likes to uh, proof, proofread or beta read my stories. And if I use saltier language, she started crossing it out. She's like, stop <laughs> doing this, you know? Right. So that's kind of like a line I draw for myself is I won't, I won't put that word in. And I, I admit I do use other, I guess, lower degree curse words, if you call them that. But right. it's all in context. And, and it, like you said, if there's a way to do it, tastefully or whatever. Uh, and I like what you said about uh, not being preachy in, in your story and your narrative, because typically being preachy never works, right? If you're trying to get a message across, it's kind of actions and how people react and, and interact with each other. And you're, you're showing, it, it's kind of a, another version of show, don't tell, right? Your, your character's acting out his faith and his convictions instead of just standing on a soapbox every three chapters and, and preaching. Right. Right. And just wanted to say, like, I read all the, all the different genres stuff. I read the, the general marketplace stuff. And so it's not like I, I avoid at all costs, those types of books, like some of the, the Jack Carr and those types of authors that, you know, some of those words are in there. It's not that I avoid reading those because they're great books. It's just, the way I write, I just sometimes I think those words aren't necessary to get the uh, the story across or the dialogue across. And so it, it's a preference for me as an author. I mean, the, to the other authors and, and I can tell you there there are some 
Christian authors, you know, in their personal life, they're, they're Christian, but they write with, with swear words and stuff like that. So my, uh, my reading, I read, I read everything, but the way I write is representative of my faith. I guess in a way to, to throw in a curse word to, to kind of like make an emotional impact or whatever, it's kind of the easy way out if you think about it. It is. I would agree. Yeah. It's more challenging. I, and I, I have experienced too, um, or experienced this too, writing dialogue. You get to a point where it would, it would honestly be so easy to add in one of those words and really get the emotion across. But when you're forced to not do that, I think you have to find a way around it to get the emotion across. And it, it kind of challenges you in a way that you might not otherwise have been challenged if you just use the word that popped into your head or that would be easy. I mean, I can tell you, it would be very easy to work those words into a book. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hear it all the time at, at work. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, could, I could very easily put those words in. I just choose not to. Switching gears a little bit. As we mentioned, uh, you are a detective, so you're familiar with the inner workings of a police investigation, and you know the dynamics of the law enforcement community. I'm sure, like you've just mentioned, you, you, you've read a bunch of crime and mystery novels, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, what have you noticed that authors of this genre typically get wrong? Um, one thing that they don't often include is just the paperwork. And it's something that hopefully when my uh, current work in progress makes it out, you'll see that it's, it's, it's not all chasing bad guys on the sidewalk and, and car chases. Sometimes it's sitting in the office typing. And unless you make a concerted effort to do that, you'll never document the stuff that you're doing, even though it's good work. If it's not documented, it never happened. And it's hard to do that because obviously you can't just have scene after scene where a detective sitting in the office typing. Well, you think they can give a little more, give a little more uh, air time? Because I mean, whenever, if they do mention it in a series or a movie or something, it's like, I want that report on my, you know, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. and, right. and the guy's like, okay, you know, and then cut scene, the report's on his desk. Yeah. And you don't see the guy slaving over it. So, I mean, lots of times, like, if you're sitting in the office typing, you know, guys are, you hear guys outside in the hall, you know, joking around, that type of thing, or, or somebody will come in and, you know, you're you're sitting typing a report and somebody comes in, interrupts you about something else that's, you know, not everything happens in a linear type thing in in the real world. Like if you're in the middle of something and something happens and you got to run out. So it's not like it's um, but but to my point is like, you know, somebody could be sitting typing a report and the guys are joking and uh, the detective hears the laughter and pops out in the hall and sees what's going on or or. A bank robbery happens in the middle of your your thought process, and you got to pack up and leave. You know, so there's there's things like that that it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, an author has to have the detective sitting there typing for a couple hours. Uh, there's ways to do it, but that that's one thing. Another thing is all of the forensic lab stuff. It takes time for some of that stuff to happen. You don't get DNA unless. Unless it's a super high profile case, you don't get DNA back the next day. It's it's just, I mean, for for us, we're a small agency. We use our state police crime lab. DNA could take six, eight months to get back, like on a burglary or a robbery case. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that long. So because a lot of the other departments from the 
multiple counties in our area send the, their stuff to the same lab. So it's not quick. Even prints, unless you have somebody in-house that can do it very quickly, like looking at a suspect print, comparing it to a known print, running it through the databases and stuff, That that's another thing that takes time. Not six, eight months, but it takes some more time. So things like that don't happen fast in real life. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can, and I can see them like, well, it's narrative expedience. You know, we only have so many minutes of screen or whatever it is. But Right. You can't drag it in a story. You can't drag it out forever. It's got to be compacted to, to make sense and, and to keep the story moving. But yeah. What always gets me too, there's some shows where they're trying to crack this mystery of the whole show. And then in the last five minutes, they pull this big screen up. And it's like, well, this database says this. And then this police, and they all come together. It's like, oh, here's our answer. You know, and it's like, yeah. Dude, if it was that easy, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's, uh, especially like if it's a big city department, it's probably similar, but just different uh, sections of the or districts of the city, whatever. But like for where I work, you could have neighboring departments each have a piece of the puzzle, but not know it unless you're sharing information you try to do with, with email groups and stuff like that. But you could have a piece of the puzzle. And, and many times if you're looking at a guy for robbery, he might have done a, a burglary or be involved in a domestic in another area. And you just, until you start putting pieces together as investigators and talking, like you said, it's not, it's not like all one big whiteboard or, or, you know, screen that you see all the pieces you got, it's hard work to put pieces together and read reports and document things and, and just communicate between investigators. I mean, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to survive or make arrests if you didn't communicate with other departments and work together as a team. I would be so interested to read your books because I feel like a lot of crime novels I've read or even just crime shows I've watched, they're very like glorified, like Hollywoodized. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, oh, this is such a, such a cool job. Look at all this fancy stuff they do. Yeah. Shiny. Yeah. Shiny. Yeah. Shiny and, and, one thing I always chuckle with that, uh, like TV shows and stuff, is how they dress. Number one, cops do not dress with tight clothing and um, just their badge and their gun on their hip. Like there's <laughs> there's, there's other things that uh, you know sometimes they and I get it. Like it's it's TV, it's visual and stuff like that. But uh, one one show in particular, it's a uh, it's got FBI agents and stuff in it. But the guy has his gun on his hip and no badge. <laughs> Imagine that if someone's approaching you or just interviewing you, whatever, he has a gun on his hip, but he doesn't have his badge on his hip. Like, who is this guy? Uh, yeah. anyway, but, but things like that, like especially TV shows, I pick up things more, more so than, than the books, but because it's visual, you can see things. Yeah. And, right. Right. Uh, you know, just sometimes how they hold their gun or how they approach somebody. And, but yeah, it's, a lot of guys get it right. A lot of a lot of uh, TV shows and, and books get the things right. But, but yeah, it's it's fun to sometimes notice those things and and the details that get overlooked. Is there a show that you've seen that gets a lot more right? Like like what would be the best example of an accurate police show for to you? Uh, I like the Law and Order, like the like the older Law and Orders. Um, not so much. Uh, well, I didn't really watch. All of the newer ones, but because uh, there's like so many Law and Orders, but uh, like the older ones with like Lenny, if you remember him, some of the older ones they they got down, especially in New York City, they got sort of that rough 
and tumble and they and they weren't like pretty actors like they were they looked real and that's that's kind of the the reason why i like the law and orders it's funny you say that my wife mentioned the uh one of the women the women in one of those law and orders she kept saying that about her's like i just understand she's she's not that good looking i'm going what they're going for <laughs> well, <that's> what, yeah. <laughs> yep. is there a book series or or a standalone book that you feel like you've read where they do it pretty well I like I like Baldacci um, in his books. I can't think of any of the police books off the top of my head, but to be honest, I've I've mainly been interested in like the the spy stuff here until more recently. So I'm starting to to kind of get into the um, like the Baldacci and and those types of uh, investigate like Joseph Finder. Now his is a private eye, but that type of thing where it's more it's not so much spy or or military driven but it's it's got like a investigator police kind of aspect to it so i'm with with my the crime thriller i'm writing i'm kind of excited about a new character a new world that type of thing that's always really fun to do the brainstorming phase and then not really world building because yeah. you're in the real world but building their world you know what's happened in their life and that's that's always really fun to do have you found that writing your reports and writing your fiction novels, they're obviously completely different because one's real life and one's fiction. But do you feel that there are tips that you use in both of them to do it well? Or is it completely separate in how you approach it? Well, definitely the, the report writing and stuff, just the, the normal police reports, search warrants, arrest reports. You can't like you can't be as flowery with your language and stuff. You're, you're supposed to just be succinct. Otherwise, reports can get long if there's all this editorializing and stuff. But so it's it's bare bones facts. And, you know, and sometimes as I'm writing reports, I want to use a certain word. But then I'm like, eh, that's that word's, you know, for lack of a better word here, it's too big of a word for for this police report. So it's like you got to keep it more bare bones and not editorialize, not add descriptions and stuff like that in, yeah. into your into the report. So yeah, I do find it like I notice when I'm I want to write a certain word and as or you know describe it a certain way, but then I'm like, eh, I just got to keep this bare bones and and but then when I do uh book stuff, I, it's like I can I'm more free, if you will. I can write whatever I want. It definitely is two separate things. I come from an engineering background, right? And I uh I would write a lot of technical things, you know, manuals and descriptions of processes and stuff. And doing that, I learned that I have to make some complex things simple to understand for my audience, like executive summer or whatever it is. And and I think some of that translated into when I started writing fiction, like uh, I wrote a submarine story and some other, and I have some technical things in the in the plot, and I think that that what I did as an engineer helped me to be concise and be able to describe the, those things a little better in the in the novel. I mean, did you find maybe something like that with with your experience with the writing of the reports and maybe a, a concise way to write seeps in there sometimes? Maybe it, it might actually be the opposite for me <laughs> for when I write, like I can expand and not be co so concise when I'm writing, you know what I mean, in a, a report. So I do I do actually think about it, though, sometimes when I'm writing a report where I'm thinking, 
is this bad for my writing? Mm -hmm, yeah. In a sense where because I'm having to write so um, vanilla and succinct and stuff. So, you know, I, I actually do think about that. Like, am I training my brain to think this way? Yeah, is this affecting my... I'm trying to write well. And not that reports you can't write well, but it's a different type of writing. It's more sanitized and clinical and not so colorful and, you know, able to describe things and, you know, use use bigger words, if you will. That's funny. I I feel that way sometimes with reading. I've started reading middle grade novels so that I know what my son will be able to read when he's older. And um, so I'll be reading them. And, you know, it's simpler. It's meant for a middle grade audience. But I'm like, is this is this going to make my writing <laughs> a little more elementary <laughs> when I don't mean it to be? Because you do get influenced and you learn by the people you read from. So when I'm reading those middle grade novels, I'm like, this feels I hope that I'm not damaging my my <laughs> skill. <laughs> Well, and I would say too, like uh, sort of along that same uh, train of thought, I'm sure you guys have read, you read an author and you're like, what am I doing? I have no business writing. Like yeah. this, this guy is on such a high level. I will never come close to that. So I'm sure you guys have ha had that experience too, where you're just mm -hmm. reading somebody like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm rubbing sticks together here and this guy's like, you know, yeah, yeah, but that gives you inspiration to strive to be like that good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and it's good to have. You know, I, I don't know what these guys that are at the top of their game, uh, especially some of the more eloquent writers. What do they read? What inspires them? Yeah, middle school. Yeah, middle school fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you far. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay, so uh, of your books, Dottie. Reviewers have said that you are natural at developing characters and that your characters are very deep and complex. How do you approach character development? Just a lot of thinking and mulling over characters. I'm sure my job has something to do with it because it's just observing people and sort of getting to know people. So I'm sure my job has some, something to do with that. But And maybe I'm like you guys too, where I have to know not necessarily every single character, but I got to know their background. I got to know their family. I got to know where they've come from. Way back in the day, I had created uh, what I called a suspect intel sheet, basically like lists a lot of bio information for a suspect. So I've kind of like translated that into a uh, character bio sheet. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. So it's standard. Like I have a form. To, cops love forms. <laughs> so I have a form where I can, I don't have to rethink, you know, uh, redesign the wheel every time I'm trying to come up with character attributes, that type of thing. So like, and I, and it makes it easier for quick reference too. like when you're writing, especially when you're first starting a, a new series or whatever, uh, or even potentially down the road when there's three, four books in and like, I forget what that guy's nickname was. You know, I can go back and see his nickname. I don't have to like read the book and find it. So like I can quick, quickly reference attributes or that type of thing, descriptions of a character without having to page through the books. Now, do you do that for every character or do you do it just for your primary characters or? I do it for every character, but obviously the main, more of the main characters are uh, more of the sheets filled in. But yeah, generally I, I want to keep track of the name because for me, details are important and I don't want to ever use the same name twice. The first name might, might pop up, but 
I don't want to ever use the same name tw twice. And I'm really cognizant about the names not looking, especially looking on the page, like each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that, that's a thing. I imagine, too, like, uh, and nowadays with the audiobooks, you got to almost, they can't sound similar either. They have to be, you know, different enough that they can, a reader can instantly know it's not similar to the, the other character that they just read. So, yeah, characters, for me, the character, if I, if I don't like a character in a book, I probably won't finish the first chapter. I'm the same way. <laughs> characters for me are like, I, I I read books because I love the characters. The plot has to be good too. I, I would agree with that. I think I love reading more character-driven novels than plot-driven because you're following the character and it's their story. And, you know, if you don't connect with them or if you don't enjoy their voice or anything, you're probably not going to enjoy the story as much as you could. Right. You can go to a ball game, the same ball game, and have different experiences with different people. Yeah. Take your best friend to the ball game, you can have a blast. You know, you take someone else that you don't really mesh well with to to a ball game, and it's just not the same experience. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting you said that about um, your job and your you you part of your job is observing people, and I never thought about that as that is probably a great way to have a bank of characters in your head at all times. Mm -hmm. You can say, okay, this quirky person over here who did this thing, this little trait, he mm -hmm. talked a certain way, he looked a certain way. I'm remembering that dude, you know, and that's actually uh, probably very beneficial. There was one case where um, it was a, a robbery. Uh, it was a fake robbery. It was a, a false report. It ended up being, it was a staged robbery. But uh, so on the camera system, we saw this, these two guys and I noticed the way this one guy walked, you know, it was, it was a little unusual. So later on in the uh, investigation, we identified some people and we were at this guy's house and I noticed this guy walking, walking in and he, he had this same unusual way he walked. So I knew, I knew right away, like this guy was involved in the, again, it was a staged robbery. So it was a little bit of an unusual case, but, um, but yeah, just to your point, like observing people, little things like that. And I've always kind of been a, an observant guy. Even growing up, my mom had always said I was, you know, didn't miss much. But the job definitely where you have to, you have to notice things like that. It, it comes in handy with, uh, with different cases and stuff. But yeah, it, it definitely, I think, helps develop characters. That's a, a trait that you have that I bet a lot of authors wish that they had being observant, number one. And number two, the job that you have, I think is is beneficial for that. <laughs> Dad and I, we just, we look at crowds of people or we'll have a small interaction with, with someone <laughs> and we'll, we'll think that would be a great character. We'll even say it to each other, you know, and we'll have the same thought of the same person without even talking sometimes. So that's, that's really funny. It's, it's funny sometimes too, though. Like, have you guys ever seen the show Monk? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that show. <laughs> so when he, his line where he says it's a blessing and a curse, uh -huh. it, it, it's sometimes, you know, noticing a lot can can be distracting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't turn that off about, you know, no, you can't. how you operate. <laughs> Especially in crowds. I mean, uh, I'm sure probably the vast majority of cops when they're in crowds, if they're talking to somebody, they're not focused on the person they're talking to. And that's, that's maybe sometimes sometimes uh, difficult for the for the people that they're talking with 
to kind of understand. But cops are always like scanning around. They're always looking around. It's just what they're trained to do. What and, and it just becomes like who they are. They're always looking around, knowing who's around them. Is it somebody I've arrested? Is it somebody that, you know, get a lot of crazy people? Is this somebody that I've dealt with? So as a cop with a family, you you learn to um especially with my wife, you going into some place, you 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 pre-plan not not like every time you go somewhere you you sit in the car and you have a big plan but but basically it becomes an understanding that hey if i say go this way don't ask me questions just go this way just yeah just walk this way that's happened on occasion in a store or that type of thing but so yeah like my point is sometimes it can be distracting in a sense where you can't focus on a conversation because you're noticing things that are going on around you but it, it does help to be uh, that observing type of uh, trait where you're you're constantly observing things. But but I'm I'm in the same boat with uh, seeing people that could be good characters. Uh, we have a big uh, theme park near us, and uh, so we go there every year around Christmas. Yeah, Knobles, Hershey, Hershey Park, Hershey. Oh, yeah. Hershey. We love Hershey. <laughs> yeah, Hershey Park. We, I've been to Knobles too. With, but yeah, Hershey Park, especially around Christmas, they do something. But so, yeah, just watching people, I would much rather I don't even have to go on any rides. I could just go there and sip on a hot chocolate and watch people. <laughs> it's, it's fun to do that. The perfect place to pick a character. <laughs> Hershey Park. <Yeah. laughs> Who knew? Um, for the Warrior Spy and Artifacts of Conspiracy, you published those independently. So what did you find was the most challenging aspect of indie publishing? Uh, the most challenging is is being an army of one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Every, everything is on you. And especially, you know, for a guy who has a, a job with some not necessarily regular hours, it makes it difficult to, to not only just write, but then to all of the other things that go along with that, to edit. Um, and I had... Uh, a friend look over some stuff, but at the end of the day, it was on me. I didn't have a, a paid editor. I didn't have all that stuff. So to edit the book, to to make it look like a book, you know, paginate all all that goes in with that stuff. Have have somebody do a cover. Just all the all of that work, and then right or wrong, I did not do any paid marketing at all. So mm-hmm. and. I initially started out looking to go the traditional route with with those two, uh, or at least the first one, and um, kind of ran across the, an agent, if you will, that said, well, this should be better in the indie market. So so that's the way I went, and um, I ended up running into some really good people in the indie world that steered me in the right direction as far as uh, what to what to do, what to avoid. And, and they were really great. So, but yeah, it, it, you're an army of one and everything is on you. And that involves the time that that is needed to go into all that stuff, let alone the money that, that some of those things require. So yeah, it's, it's just a lot of, if you want to do it and do it well, it is a lot of work, especially if you have a, a regular job. Oh yeah. Kira and I are both indie uh, authors and, and I, I have a full-time job still, engineering, and I think I'm just finishing up my fifth, my fifth novel, 
but yeah, it's it's to to write it and produce it and then market it. Yeah, it's it's a full time. So you've got two full time jobs plus your family, right? Don't don't neglect them. So that's one thing I've told myself from the very beginning. I will I will not I, I will make sacrifices, but I will not sacrifice my family for a writing career. So it's it's important for me to I got to find a way to make it work. I got to find a way to make everything work. When it comes to the family stuff, I'm not going to go and and write and ignore them for a weekend or something. So. But yeah, it, it definitely becomes a challenge then to to balance all that stuff. Do you feel like now that you've done it with your first with your first books, do you feel like you've gotten better at it or you've you feel more comfortable with it? Well, definitely with writing. I look now and I'm not sure if you guys do the same thing or not, but you, you read some of the early stuff you did and you're like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's terrible, but it's you you might write things a different way or, or that type of thing. But so, so where I am, I have, I actually have a manuscript for the third warrior spy book essentially done. It could probably uh, be polished up just a little bit more, but so sort of working with some guys or not working with them, but like talking with some guys that are in the traditional um, that have published traditionally and stuff and, and are very successful. I kind of took some advice to, my my goal is to become tr- a traditionally published. So that being said, it would be hard for a traditional publisher to pick up mid series, a, a third book in a series. So, so that's kind of why I I wanted to start a new series. I'm not saying I'm leaving the rainy series behind. I have some ideas for some of those books, but the new series I'm excited about too because the character I created is uh he's he's fairly unique and. Obviously, being a crime thriller, I can incorporate some of the stuff that I come across in my job mm-hmm. and, and, you know, with investigations and stuff. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Uh, so so my my intent is now to and it's 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 all but done. Uh, I'm just going back through it one more time. But some of the guys I know in the traditional publishing world um, have read it and like it. So I'm, I'm going to be querying here soon. The dreaded queries. The trenches, the trenches. <laughs> so I'm ready for it. And uh, to get where I want to be as an author, that's what I want to do. That's great. Yeah, yeah, the kind of the write what you know thing. And I'm sure that gives you some insights that a lot of other authors don't have uh, writing writing in the genre. Do you have a working title for the book you'll be querying? I do. It's uh, Murder by Half. Ooh, I like that because I'm already curious what that means. Some, like I said, some of the author friends I have uh, have read it and like it, and some of them you might even know. So that's kind of what I'm excited about, throwing it in front of some agents and seeing what happens and seeing the reaction and feedback I get. If you do get it into, into print, then those guys you know, we may have heard, it'd be great to get a blurb from them and put it on the back cover, right? <laughs> yeah, I already have one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to I wanna dip into uh, marketing just a little bit. I saw the book trailer you have for Artifacts of Conspiracy. And I, I've always wanted or always thought about getting a book trailer made. How did that go for you? And do you feel that once you had it, that you feel that it was useful? Or was it just kind of cool to have it? Uh, I'm not sure if it was useful or not, but I know <laughs> it was kind of cool to have it. Um, and I, I made it myself. so And obviously you can tell it's nothing fancy, but... Uh, I don't even remember what I used to make it, but it was something 
I think it was something with Microsoft on, it was already on the computer, like a movie maker type thing. So I just went out and found pictures and sort of made it myself. The, the music I paid for, I think it was like a couple bucks or something like that. But I think today's society or whatever, they love motion. They love video. You know? And I see that on Instagram when you can post like a picture and, or, or something very eloquent word-wise and crickets, you know? Yeah. But you post a little video of a steamy coffee cup and you'll get all these likes and all these comments. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's just a coffee cup, man. <laughs> it's the Instagram reels. It's taken over. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I, I think they're cool. I mean, a lot of them are, a lot of the, the ones I've seen are, are really well done and stuff. And so you know, I wasn't going to sink a lot of money into producing something for, for where I was starting out and stuff. But yeah, they're, I think they, they can be really useful. I know, like I said, the ones I've seen are really neat. Uh, they can be effective. And obviously, this day and age, everyone or a lot of people are more visual, mm -hmm. especially like marketing and stuff. I think uh, I think it could be useful. I just don't know if mine was. <laughs> now, marketing's hard. I, I think some people don't. Like, I, I don't think that I even have the the personality for marketing. I wish that I had a team that did that for me. I do as much as I can, but I think a lot of the times it can actually take away from my writing time because I'm spending so much time trying to make it look good or, you know, just do the right thing. So when I find that it's it's actually taking away from my writing, then I'm like, okay, it's not right now it's not worth it to do that, you know. Oh yeah, you can start chasing chasing that stuff. Uh it just just even making a like a Facebook post, just a, just a picture with, a, you know, a couple graphics or whatever, you can get so bogged down and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And, but yeah, you can, you can chase coming up with a post and, and it can be really cool, but then you sank hours into that when you should be writing or you could be doing other things. So for me, it was a lot of like cost benefit is spending money on this stuff going to really generate return you know what i mean right yeah. right yeah yeah no that, that's absolutely something you got to think about when you're when you're an eddie publisher um return on investment right yep well connie i want to thank you for joining us today on the right note anything uh, you want to share with us on upcoming plans or what, what's i guess what's next on your horizon right now like i said querying and uh getting i want to i want to hear some feedback from some agents and uh like the author friends I have, they've given me some good good tips and stuff from the manuscript. But I want to hear some feedback from some agents. So that's kind of like the next step. But then in the meantime, obviously, getting started on the next one. So I'm just anticipating at some point this one will be, will be re well received and it'll have representation and stuff like that. I need to get started on the second book in that series. Just like reading, you want to know what happens to the character next. So I want to know what happens to the character in the next book. So I, I need to get started on the next the next uh, story. Keep going while you wait for feedback and representation. Yeah. You know, if that is your passion, if that is your goal, you just have to keep going because it's it takes a long time. Publishing takes a long time. Yeah, it's a long game. You got to you got to be patient and nothing nothing comes unless you have instant name recognition. Yeah. You got to be in it for the long game. Right. 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 So if uh, readers or uh, listeners want to follow you or get in touch with you, how could they uh, how can they do that? 
my website, donnyjbooks.com. Uh, probably would be the best place to start. And then uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And then obviously, I like when people email me. I get to get that, you know, those questions and stuff and get that one-on-one. So, uh, you know, I encourage anyone out there to email me as well, questions or just, just to say hi. But so my email is donnyj at donnyjbooks.com. Vera, any final questions? The final question, that's your question? I'm used to defense attorneys asking me questions. These these have been easy. A lot of times I'll be like, any last words, Kara? And she takes it like a uh, like I'm threatening her with that. So I <laughs> worded that differently this time. And I thought you were I thought you were um talking about the, the bonus question. No, oh, okay. So okay, so bonus question is Donnie, will the Philadelphia Eagles go back to the Super Bowl this year? Uh if they can stay healthy, <laughs> I think there's a good chance. That'll be the that'll be the key if they can stay healthy. They got a they have a good team, but uh, obviously there's some other good teams that might have something to say about that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, on the right note, sure. it's been fun. Thank you for having me, and uh, best of luck with the query. And as we say on the right note, keep your pen to the page and write on. Bye.